So let's, let's start out. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. This is Paul talking. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He's, he said, he, he's prefacing what he's getting ready to say in verse 12 with all his stuff. Everything I've accomplished up to this point, I don't, I count it all rubbish. All success I've had, I count it all rubbish. He said, my goal in life is to follow the pattern of Christ, that the suffering that comes on me would somehow be patterned after Christ. I'd have the same attitude, becoming like him in his death. I'm going to die to the flesh, Paul talks about in other letters. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead, he said the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, and it'll quicken our mortal bodies. And he said, so the same pattern Christ took, I'm living my life to live the same way. Now watch this, verse 12. Not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me in all of Scripture. That's one of my top five favorite verses. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting all that is behind me, straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, flip. So Paul says, I'm never going to let up. I'm never going to let off the gas. As long as I have breath in me, I'm going to, I'm going to strain for it to figure out why God took hold of me every day. This is going to be my life. So he said, never be content in this area. Never be content with it. Never stop straining. Never stop pushing forward. Then one chapter farther. Chapter 4. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Chapter 3. Never be content. Chapter 4. You better be content. Alright. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in an any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in what, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Father, we pray, Lord, that you keep us straining and content all the same time. I pray that we'd be people that never stop straining towards you, but would be wholeheartedly content in our lives. We thank you for this today, your word. Pray that it would change us. In Christ's name, and everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. The shell game. Anybody ever been in the city or something or at a festival or whatever, somebody's playing the shell game with you? You know, the guy puts the ball. You thought he put the ball under, but he's got that little quick hand thing where there's actually no ball under any shell. Like, he's like, okay, put it in there, and then he starts, looks like he's got, you know, four hands and he's just flipping these shells all around. And then he goes, all right, which one has the ball under it? 
And you're like, I got this. I got my best girl with me. I put down 10 bucks on this thing. I'm winning today, right? That's what we do in our lives a lot of times. Paul is saying here that there's one aspect of his life in chapter 3 that he would never be content with. He said that everything he'd accomplished up to that point in time, that he considered all the stuff he had gained, he considered garbage. The NIV says, garbage. Paul wasn't a guy, Paul wasn't a collector of things. He said, all this stuff's garbage. But this one thing I do, he said, I realize that I haven't attained everything that I want to attain yet. He said, I, I want to, I'm not to the place I want to be in my life. Now you have to remember Paul's towards the end of his life when he's writing to the Philippians. He's already in prison and, and it's not going well for him. And yet, his comments to the Philippian church are, I will never settle. I will always push forward and strain towards what Christ has for me. The reason Christ took hold of me is the purpose in my life to chase after him, to find out what that was, what that is, and what that will be. I will never, I will never let up off the gas. There's a reason Christ saved me. Now, some of you may be like me where you grew up in the church. And so it was this, it was sort of, it was less of a bang, it was less of an unbelievable redemption from drugs and alcohol and all this crazy stuff. And I woke up one day and I was a new creation. You just kind of wiggled into it, right? I mean, I grew up in church. I can remember four or five years old sitting in a, in a Sunday school class in Hopewell, Virginia, and, and, and a lady asking me if I wanted to give my life to Christ. I was like, dude, everybody's doing it. Why wouldn't I? And so my existence, now I've rebelled a little bit in my teen years. And uh, we won't go into that. But, uh, you know, but my existence was never, was never a life that I didn't understand the things of God or know that God had a calling or a, a purpose for me. I was never in that place in my life. Now, Paul, on the other hand, was actually persecuting people that followed Christ and had this dramatic encounter with, with Christ. He's on the road to Damascus and he, and, and he's on his way to persecute Christians and he becomes blinded and Jesus meets him and says, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. So Paul has an, goes to the town and has an encounter with a guy. Something like scales fell from his eyes. And he became a radical follower of Jesus Christ in an instant. The same energy and passion he put into persecuted Christians, he now flipped to preaching Christianity. So now Paul, later on in his life, possibly 30 years later, is now saying, I will never let up off the gas because Jesus Christ took hold of me for a reason. And what you have to understand this morning is that if you're sitting here today, at the sound of my voice, Jesus has taken hold of you for a reason. It's, you didn't just bump into Jesus in the grocery store and say, I don't know, uh, whole wheat versus white bread. What do you think, Jesus? It, it's not that I just sprinkled him into my life. He grabbed a hold of you. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While you were walking in your life, chasing something else, Jesus grabbed you. 
saved you, redeemed you, and then he didn't just walk away and go, okay, I'm done, <laughs> did the work. No, he's now put a purpose in your life. And the whole reason he grabbed you was for a purpose. And Paul understood that. And all, later in his life, towards death, he says, I'm still pushing to make sure I accomplish all that he's called me to accomplish. So never settle. Never give in. Never quit. Never make excuses. Never be content when you're chasing God. You flip one chapter forward into chapter four, and he's like, yeah, I've learned how to be content with everything. And if you don't look at it, you're like, okay, this guy says never be content. One chapter later, he said, I I know how to be content in every situation. You're like, okay, which one is it? So it's sort of like the shell game. I was never really good at it because once the guy moved the shells around like two or three times, I was, I'm, I'm bored. I don't even know. I can't pay attention. It's like, uh, I don't know, three. No, you lose again. Okay, well, you're not getting 10 more dollars. I'm not, I'm not going to keep doing this. So, so in our lives, there's this idea of we should be constantly pursuing but content at the same time. There, there should be this tension between the two. Do you ever feel that? I feel that. I, I try to make sure that's always there. Some of you have been lied to and said that your life should be stress-free. Liar. Your life shouldn't be stress-free. Actually, I believe you should introduce stress into your life at times. On purpose. Because nothing grows without stress. Nothing grows without straining. Nothing grows just sitting there in a vegetable state. Nothing grows. It just... You have to have a straining in your life in order for something to grow. And so... I believe there should be a constant tension in our lives between where we are currently, where we currently are and where God wants us to be. And we should be okay with that tension. Actually, that tension should evade every aspect of our life. And we'll get into that in a second, how you pick the right shell. So here we have Paul saying you should be discontent with one area, content with the other. The, the issue is picking the right area to be discontent with. Because it's like a shell game. If you pick the wrong shell... Now, life is different from the shell game because, because when you pick the wrong shell, the guy automatically goes, nope, thanks for your money. <laughs> you don't even get a, I don't know, stuffed animal? Like when I, go to the, when I go to the circus, at least I get a stuffed animal for losing. You're like, look, this is old school. You ain't getting a prize. <laughs> In life, oftentimes, you don't get to flip over the shell till the end. You see, you can put all your money on one shell. You can put all your money on, I'm chasing this, I'm chasing this, I'm chasing this. And then oftentimes you don't figure out until it's too late. You flip over the shell and you're like, there's nothing there. You spend 10, 15, 20, 30 years of your life chasing after something only to flip it over and find out it's not what I expect. It's not there. The prize isn't there. And the funny part, the guy behind the table is still holding your money. After all those years, he's like, took 30 years, but I still got you. Do you ever watch um, Let's Make a Deal? The old one. I hate remakes. What is his name? Uh, Monty Hall. I'm talking about the original. Monty Hall. It used to fascinate me because people would be all in on that show, wouldn't they? They'd win one thing. I'm all in, brother. 
to the end. I'm betting on this horse all the way. And then they win something else. And then you, you still, all right, yeah, yeah, I'm still, let's make a deal. Let's do it. And then they get all the way to the end. The curtain would come back. There'd be a goat eating hay. And you're like, and I often wonder, did they take that goat back on the plane with them? Like it, it could have been it's like, hey, man, that's my goat. I put it all down on this process and I got to the end and got a goat. I'm taking the goat home with me. I'm going to kill that thing and we're going to eat it for dinner. It's my goat. Don't tell me what to do with it. I know it was filmed in California. They're all like meat friendly, not meat friendly. Stuff. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait till the end to find out I was a goat. I don't want to, I don't want to bet on the wrong shell. And so oftentimes in our lives, that's what we do. You know, <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day, I'm, I'm so excited, I'm so glad that I was born when I was born. Not to say when you were born was not good, but I'm glad that I was born when I was born. Because I didn't grow up with the internet, I didn't grow up with text messaging, cell phones, anything like that. I didn't grow up with that stuff. You had a pay phone in the high school, and if you ever used a pay phone in the high school, it was weird. Like, why is he in the payphone booth? I'm like, I don't know. So, you know, nobody could get a hold of you at times. <laughs> Cell phones, and everybody's like, why didn't they pick up? Because I, th- I still think it's 1985. That's why I didn't pick up. And it's my cell phone. If I don't want to pick up, I don't have to pick up. It's like running to a payphone, just ringing. Why would I pick it up? I don't know who's calling. (laughs) So, I grew up in this great transitional time where I didn't grow up with all that stuff, but I was still young enough to take advantage of it when it came out and understand it. But I have a different way of thinking. Like, I don't think, I I don't necessarily want to be famous because I value my privacy. And there's things about me that I don't want you to know. I don't want you to be a part of. I want them to just be me, my stuff, and between me and my wife and my kids. And I don't need an audience for everything. I don't take pictures of everything. <laughs> me and my buddy were at uh, lunch the other day. He's about maybe 10 years older than me. He goes, Chris, your iPhone tells you how many selfies that, you, that you've taken. He goes, I, I got four. And he said, those are when I got hit with a stick and got my eye poked out. And I was sending them to my wife. <laughs> like, I feel you, brother. Like, you're not seeing me do this a lot. Just, I don't know. We live in a culture, though, that is consumed with chasing success, with chasing notoriety, with chasing fame. You can have people that are famous that don't know how to do anything. There's no talent. Like back before the internet, you had to have a talent to be famous. Now it's just like, I got a YouTube channel. What's, what's he doing? He's just on YouTube doing nothing. So what we've done is we've made it, we've made it culturally productive to not really pour your life into anything meaningful. We, we've made it a goal in life not to really achieve anything anymore. Just, well, what do you do? I'm famous. I mean, what do you do? (laughs) 
So just because there's enough idiots to follow you around doesn't mean you're actually doing anything. What do you do? And so when we're talking about the shell game, oftentimes we're chasing the old success thing. Whatever our culture defines it at the time. Listen, success looks like this now. Success looks like this 10 years from now. This is what it looked like 10 years ago. And we're just chasing it, chasing it, chasing it, chasing it. What, what I, wanna, I, want, I, want, I, want, I want this, I want that, I want all these things. And so we're picking shells based on what we think they're going to provide only to get to the end of the road to flip it over and find out it's not what we thought. You probably talked to people who chase things like that. And when they got to the end, they realized, I wish I spent more time with my kids. I wish I spent more time with my wife. I wish I would have, I wish I'd help people more. I would, I would, well, why is that? You've got everything. Yeah, but when I flipped it over, it wasn't what I was expecting. It wasn't what I was expecting. And so there's this, so Paul, Paul is saying, There's something that I will chase and put all my energy in. And then there's these things over here in chapter four that I don't even give a rip about. I know what it's like to have things and not have things. And I'm fine either way. I'm not going to put any more energy in getting stuff. I'm going to put energy in becoming better. I'm going to put energy in following. Being being all who God has called me to be. The reason he grabbed a hold of me. I'm going to put all of my energy in this. Because I realize that there's something in chasing this over here that's not going to satisfy me. As a matter of fact, in chapter 3, he says, all this stuff is rubbish at the end of the day. All of it's garbage at the end of the day. And it is, isn't it? When we're... You know, I was thinking, we were walking through an old warehouse yesterday, and there was some cool old stuff. And then there were some, like, computers from 1997. (laughs) And I thought, they're worthless. They're not even as cool as a washing machine from 1950. Like the 1950 washing machine, I thought, man, I could get that and put it in my house. That's awesome. The 1997 computer, I'm like, oh. There has a lot of stuff in our society is just toss away worthless. And we chase it nonstop. We're the throwaway generation, aren't we? Your lawnmower breaks, you don't get it fixed, you just throw it away. Or you give it to me. We're going to make this thing work. So it's contentment, Paul saying, and straining at the same time. You got to know what shell to pick. You got to, if you're going to be all in on something, you got to know what to be content about and what not to be content about. If you're going to chase something, you got to make sure you're chasing the right thing every time. And he says, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to forget the stuff that I shouldn't worry about. And I'm going to strain on to that that right shell, the one, I'm, the one with the prize at the end. Now, let me, let me give you some foolproof ways of picking the right one. Everybody want to start winning at the shell game? Wouldn't that be awesome? So, so when the guy's doing, you, you got to stare at him. No, I have no idea about that. You punch him in the mouth and then flip over the one, right? Here's what, here's, what, here's what you do. Watch this. You wake up every morning. That's number one. Because if you don't wake up, you're going to figure out if it worked or not. <laughs> Soon enough, right? You wake up in the morning. And you start your day out with things like this. God, you are a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
You're like, well, that's not very revolutionary. No, no, just listen. You're lamping to my feet and lighting to my path. Okay, you're going to light up the way in which I'm supposed to go. I have confidence this morning that you're going to light up the way in which I'm supposed to go. So you're lamping to my feet and a light unto my path, Psalms 119 says. Then, then how about this? How about we, how about we pray this? How about we pray Proverbs? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your path. I know some of you motorcycle riders like curvy roads, but I like seeing what's coming. So, Lord, all right, I just woke up. Still alive. Light my path. Put a lamp at my feet. And make my path straight. And God goes, I can do that. Yep, I can do that every morning. I'll make your path straight. I'll be a light into your path. Lamp into your feet. I'll make it straight. Just, just follow me. And then what happens is, we can have this confidence that whatever we ask, come on, we've talked about that a couple months ago, this confidence that we have, whatever we ask in his name according to his will. What did Paul say? I'm going to go after God because I want to figure out why he grabbed a hold of me, which is the will of God in my life. So every morning we wake up and we say, light my feet up and make my path straight and your will will become illuminated to my life today. (laughs) And you can pick the right horse every time. Wait, it's a shell game. Pick the right shell every time. Pick the right horse. Pick the right number. All these other ways we try to do it. God says, I promise the steps of a righteous man are ordered by chance. No, no. They're ordered by the Lord. There, there's, no, there's no chance to any of it. There's no, there's no game to any of it. God says, I'll let you, I'll, I'll, I'll cause you to pick the right shell every single time. You, there, there, there's no mystery to it. There's no magic. There's no, well, I'm not sure. Where I'm, no, 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 no. I'll light your path. I'll make it straight and I'll direct your steps so I can wake up every morning with the confidence I'm picking the right one. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to fret about it. God, I pray to you this morning to illuminate my path, to make it straight, and to guide every step I take. So I am confident today. I am starting out the day with you in mind, with following you, with chasing after you, with figuring out what you have called me to do. So in all my decisions, you are illuminating them, and you're directing them. So I'm going to lay my head down at night, trusting, knowing that I picked the right show. Come on, does that sound good? I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. Oh, but wait a second. Wait a second. I skipped a whole idea over here. Watch this. Some of you just translated that. I want to be broke and poor and uh, my life's going to stink because Paul's talking about suffering. And uh, it's just going to be a really awful life now. Because God's going to direct my steps. And I'm not even sure he likes me. And so what we've done is we've said the shell everybody else has picked looks more enticing than the shell I'm getting ready to pick. And I'm not sure it's going to pan out the same way. I think I've said this before. God is a this and that God. Like the idea that we're, you know, sacrifice is a weird sounding word, isn't it? When it comes to humans, human sacrifice. 
It's kind of funny, isn't it? Not in the context that you're thinking like throwing a baby in a volcano. Um, Do they still do that? But in this context, as if our sacrifice matters. Now what we'll do to put guilt trips on other humans is we'll say, I sacrificed all this stuff for this. As if what we receive from God is not a zillion times greater than any sacrifice we could lay down in front of him. And so it's almost comical when we talk about sacrifice to God, isn't it? Lord, do you know how much I've given up to you? We talked about that a couple weeks ago, but Peter and the disciples, Lord, we've left everything for you. I'll just settle down. Just settle down. Just settle down. Don't, 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 don't start getting to that. We've given up everything for you thing. Come on, your reward is going to be greater than anything you could have ever given up for it. Remember, you could do nothing about your own sin, and I came to die for it. Don't talk about sacrifice. I've already sacrificed everything anybody ever needs to sacrifice, so don't talk about it in the context of sacrifice. Talk about it in the context that Paul talks about it. I'm not sacrificing anything. I'm chasing God to figure out why he grabbed me. Because everything else is rubbish compared to knowing him. He didn't say, look at all I've laid down to know him. He said, nothing compares to knowing him. So it's not a sacrifice to lay down something that I'm going to get a reward that totally eclipses what I've laid down. A sacrifice is when you give something up and the reward isn't as great. Then you talk sacrifice. Like, hey, I've put all this in and what I got back wasn't. The equivalent. Oh, you sacrificed. No, no, no. The Christian life is not about a sacrifice. The Christian life is about experiencing a life beyond what you could experience on your own. I came that you would have life and life a little bit better than your neighbor. No, I came that you'd have life and life more abundantly. See, God talks like me more abundantly, more better. That's what he was saying, more better. He said, I came so you'd have a more better life. This and that. This and that. Wait a second. I think Jesus talks about this all over scripture. While he was on earth, he talked about it. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's the shell with this and that. So we pick the right shell and we don't have to worry about whether we're going to get taken care of or not. We don't have to worry about whether we're going to, whether we're going to make it or not. We, don't, we pick the right shell and it's not a sacrifice. It's, a, it's an opportunity. We pick the right shell every morning when we wake up. God, I'm doing it your way. I'm going to follow your steps. I'm going to take hold today for that which you took hold of me. And I'll never be content. All this other stuff, I'm fine. But that's one place I'll never stop. And then you come across verses like Matthew 6, where Jesus is telling the disciples, he's saying, he's saying, why do you worry about all this stuff? What you will eat, drink, wear? Why do you worry about it? Don't I do a pretty good job? And he says at the end of those statements, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Now, what you leave off of is the last two words of that statement. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. As well. This and that. As well. As well as what? As well as a relationship with me. Which eclipses all these things. So now you don't. Not only do you don't have to be anxious about anything. You're getting all of it anyway. 
He says, as well. So you're not anxious and you're getting it as well. Well, doesn't that beat being anxious with it? If you can be with it without anxiety? You're like, I'm just, I just love worrying about it. It's just, it's awesome. It's like I have it, but I'm afraid for it. He says, well, pick the right shell and you don't have to worry about it. You get this and that. You get peace and blessing. You get, he, he says, listen, I'm really good at clothing people. <laughs> I told the first service, says, I got seen you naked. He's going to put clothes on you. <laughs> it's like, you ain't going out of the house looking like that. Here's some clothes. I'm going to make sure. Paul said, Paul said, I'm living a blessed life. I'm going to strain to take hold of it. One last story. Watch how this works. Stand on your feet. So it'll make me stop. Watch this. First Kings. I think it's First Kings chapter 3. First Kings chapter 3. Solomon is the son of the greatest king of Israel ever. Solomon is the son of King David. King David was the second king of Israel. God called him a man after his own heart. You don't need any plaques if God calls you that. You don't need any notoriety from people if God calls you after his own heart. You got enough. So this is the description God gives David. Well, it became the mandate of David's son to build a temple for God's presence to live in in Jerusalem. And Solomon's a young guy. So there's a ceremony coming up. And Solomon, in a dream, God comes to him and says, hey, ask for anything you want. Could you imagine that? You're like, God, you got a sheet of paper because I'm ready to unload. You said anything I want. Solomon, though, asked for this. Watch. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Watch what he asked for. He said, Verse 7, and now, O oh my Lord, you have made your servant king in place of my fa- David, my father, although I am but a little child. You know what? He had the right perspective of himself. I do not how to go or out or come in. He said, I don't know whether I'm coming or going, and I just get made king over the whole place. I don't know where I'm coming or going. Then he says this. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. He's feeling the pressure of what God has called him to do. A great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For him, for who is able to govern this great people? You know what Solomon just said? Lord, you've called me to do something. You grabbed a hold of me. You made me David's son. I had nothing to I woke up David's son. I got nothing to do with it. You made me who I am. You grabbed me, and now God, give me the wisdom to lead your people. Give me the ability to do what you've called me to do. He's doing the same thing thousands of years later Paul is praying for. He's saying, I'm chasing after you. Because I realize I'm inadequate by myself. I need you to help me accomplish all that you've called me to accomplish. Your will be done in my life. 
Solomon says, I don't know what I'm doing. I need your wisdom. Another translation says that he prayed for wisdom. Now watch what God tells him. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, he said, you picked the right shell. You didn't ask for all this other stuff. Because you ask yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that no one like you has been before you and none will be like you after. I give you also what you have not asked for. As well. As well. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things will be added to you as well. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Come on, church, we need to pick up the right shell. You need to put down the other ones you've been worrying about. How's this going to happen? How's that going to happen? Am I going to make it? Am I not going to make it? Am I going to be successful? Not successful. If you grow in God, success will chase you. If you pick the right shell, God will add to you. If you pick him, he will take care of you. If you pick him and grow in him, he will grow you. Amen? I think we can do that. I think that could be who... The, the label of this church they never stop they never stop chasing him they never stop grabbing hold of him amen come on let's bow our heads close our eyes can we thank him this morning and i bet you there's somebody out here today that may be picking the right shell for the first time you may be saying man i've never i've never i ain't even had a conversation with god but you're hearing for the first time that it's this and that he's a whole god that wants to bless your life he wants you to chase after him. He will redeem you. He'll save you. He'll forgive you of your sins. You'll experience peace like you've never experienced before. And he can wipe anxiety off the face of your map in a moment. If you'll follow after him. Father, I pray for everybody making a decision this morning. Maybe they picked up the wrong shell and they're finding it out. And they're going to pick up the right one. They're going to strain after you for that which you took hold of them. They're going to follow after you this morning, God. They're putting it all in. Lord, and we have the confidence today that it's this and that, that it's as well, that because we picked right, Lord, you will add to us. We thank you for it, God. We pray that we'd be a church known for doing your will and following hard after you. And we look forward to your goodness in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, could you give him honor and glory one more time?